guys and welcome to Happy Single Mums, a podcast surrounding real single mummy life. So, here's your host, me, Khalifa. Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Single Mums podcast. I'm your host, Khalifa. Today we have a magnificent lady. Her name is Jane. She has a, a platform called the Betrayal, Trauma and Recovery podcast. She do it with another person, I know. Um, yeah. But... I love your platform because it hits you right in the face in regards to the videos that you put out. Um, I think, I don't know whether you do it weekly or, or fortnightly, but it's just amazing because you actually put a mirror to a lot of people's faces about what trauma looks like, what betrayal looks like and what recovery looks like because we're always told as women, get over it, you know? Um, if something bad happens just you're a woman you're strong you can bear it you can have periods and have babies but in actual fact hurt people hurt people and we are in an age and a day whereby there are things that we can do tools therapy journaling mindfulness to actually heal ourselves but sometimes we don't want to face some of the things that we're dealing with and I love your podcast because you're facing some of the things that we deal with as women I know one of the last podcasts you lot did was about porn and I've been in a relationship before whilst my partner decided to watch porn and I didn't think about the emotional ramifications it had on me as a woman like what kind of porn are you watching is she what does she look like those are the things that we as women we don't really address but I love your platform because you are constantly addressing it and you're so unapologetic and I'm gonna shut up now so you can introduce yourself. Thank you. Everything you're saying is so validating because we do try to just say it how it is, but it is sometimes it is scary because you never want to shame other women or make anyone feel bad. But there are these things like porn in relationships that it's you just have to be honest about it. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so betrayal trauma recovery. It was started by Anne. She's the one who does the podcast. I do the other content. So the the articles we write and our videos and and interviews and stuff, um, I do those. And uh, we have our group sessions. We have coaches that work with us that, you know, will help women one-on-one. So we have a lot of resources over there. And, um, and I, you know, I love it. I love learning, learning more every day from, from other victims and survivors who have Mm -hmm. gone through this and, it's just a really powerful community full of incredible women. I mean, every single day I hear more stories and it's, it's hard to know what's going on all over the world, but it's also really empowering to see women Mm. every day, you know, deciding I'm done, you know, I'm done being treated like this. I'm, I'm ready to live a better life. So how do you, as, um, were were you a coach or therapist? How no, yeah, I I am a writer. So I started out. I've I've been a just a freelance writer for years, and um and then I was in uh, an abusive relationship, and I was using betrayal trauma recovery as a resource for myself, and I kept commenting on their articles, just saying, "I wish you would have written it this way instead." Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually they got a hold of me and said, "You know, do you just want to work for us and start writing our articles?" So at that point, I did have to do some training, some coaching training, and you know, other educational training things in order to be able to speak a little bit more about this. But no, I don't coach or or do any kind of therapy or any any clinical work at BTR. It's more just the educational. I like providing free educational content to women because, yeah. I'm going to ask a bit of a personal question, Jane, because it's something that I needed to address myself. Now, I've always counted myself as a strong woman and everything like that. 
And it wasn't until I had left a relationship, that's when I knew that I was actually in an abusive relationship. So when you were in your um, relationship, did you know that it was toxic? Did you know that it was abusive? Was it when you actually left? It was, it was once I, I separated. So I was married for about 10 years before I realized that I was being abused. And once I realized I separated and then during that separation process, it started to hit me just how abusive it was. And I've been divorced for, for nearly a year now. It took, I was separated for two years and then it took, you know, about a, during that time, it took about a year for the divorce to finalize. Mm -hmm. Um, In that time, I can say I regularly get kind of hit, you know, with these moments where I'm like, I did not realize, you know, how serious that was. So, you know, for a lot of women, it's, it's like you were saying, it's very, very difficult to see the reality of the relationship when you're in it, you know? So if you start to feel those red flags or, or just, if it's not what it should be, what a relationship should be, it's a good idea to take a step back. And then that kind of that fog clears and you can kind of see the reality and be like, oh my goodness, this is what this is. I'm in an abusive relationship. Yeah. And I think that ultimately it's very, very difficult to digest that as well, because like we are always taught to, you know, date the bad boy kind of thing or the one, because I like, when I sometimes when I see kids in the playground and, you know, the, the boy that pushes girls over, we're the ones, we, we as parents will say oh he just likes you that's why he's pushed you over but the one that gives you a flower we're like oh no he's corny you know (laughs) so we're we are programming our children and and their minds to actually want to be that emotional project manager to to want to date or want to play with the boy that's picking on you or pushing you down and that carry that ripples on to adulthood and when you actually realize that actually this is not what a healthy relationship looks like um, but I don't know why, especially with the women that I speak to on my platform, I don't know why we continuously carry on when you know, you know, what the reality is. A relationship for me is like a mirror. And if you don't like what's looking back at you, you need to do something about it. And yeah, we just continuously carry on. Why do you think that is actually? Why do you think that you can know from year one, <laughs> but you're still like, no. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, there's this there's this concept called the sunken cost fallacy, and it happens in business. It happens in relationships where you you spend time and money, you know, and if you have children with this person or you purchase a house or you've traveled to Italy or, you know, you have this photo album, your phone is full of pictures with this person. And you think I've already put in this much. Mm -hmm. Surely a little more time wouldn't hurt a little, you know, going to therapy together or going on another vacation or having a baby together, like some kind of change is going to make it worth it. And so you sink time into this person, believing that that's going to be enough. And, you know, further, I think that another, another issue is that for so many of us, the generation we were raised in, the culmination of life was being in a partnership. Once you get there, you're done. You've, you've made it. And so that was what we, that was, that was what we sought for. And then when we got it and it was awful, (laughs) we were like, well, what else are we supposed to do? And I think that there's been a radical shift kind of in mental health and in women's empowerment. That's like, you know what? It's okay to be single. I love the name of your podcast. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not okay to be single. It's, it is, it's, it's, good it is necessary to be happy and healthy and if that's with a partner great and if that's without a partner 
great. Right. Yeah. You know, but ultimately a relationship with a partner or a romantic relationship should really only edify your life. Yeah, it definitely should. And I've said this before on, on the podcast. I even said it today to um, someone that I was speaking to that the although although I'm single now, and sometimes you get like seasons of loneliness, maybe like around Christmas, new cupping season, they call it. You get seasons of loneliness, but I have never felt as lonely as I felt when I was in a relationship than when I'm actually single. I would never trade what I feel now in my seasons of loneliness and when I was actually in a relationship expecting this person to know that I am in a state of like, I need you right now, but they're just so busy in their own world. So yeah, you have to weigh it. You really have to weigh your options when you're in this thing called life and love and pursuing it. Like it's not, yeah, you're not going to die if you're single. <laughs> like, no, it's not going to kill you. You might actually live longer. A hundred percent. I just had a comment from someone who said something like, I look younger at 48 without him than I looked at 30 with him. And I thought that was so profound. I mean, the way that our bodies begin to heal when we're out of that constant trauma, fight or flight, you know, mentality, when we're around somebody who's just, you know, even if you're not experiencing physical violence, just walking on eggshells, always worrying what they're going to say, how they're going to criticize you, if they're betraying you, you know, who they're texting, like, you don't need that in your life. Right. And I completely understand what you mean. There's no loneliness, like sleeping next to someone and not knowing if they love you. It's hard. It's very, very hard. And yeah, men don't realize some of the things that they say can act that can actually have massive emotional damage on women. Like I remember when I was dating my son's dad and he used to say to me, you're ugly. No one's going to want you. And I didn't used to say, whatever, you're just angry at the moment. But even when we broke up, like when a man would talk to me, I would be like moving away because I think, why are you talking to me? And words, as much as we say sticks and stones won't make my bones, but words really have an adverse effect on us as women. And you have to be very, very careful who you share your world with because they could chip away at your confidence. And it takes sometimes a lifetime to try and get that get back to who you were before you said I love you you know and ultimately you have to learn how to love yourself more I have to love me more than I love you and if I love me more I know what my standards are so I was going to ask you um what do you why do you think it's so important to actually identify trauma um to heal and empower others well, first of all, I just want to, you are so beautiful. So the fact that this <laughs> man could ever convince you, it, it just is proof to me of how severe trauma is. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. literally messes with our brains. Yeah. It's it, The reason why it's important to identify trauma is because, me, I mean, many reasons, our physical health, trauma affects our bodies. The Body Keeps the Score is an excellent book on this subject. And that's a, I mean, that's a huge one. If we want to live a healthy, fulfilling life, we have got to address our trauma. So that's one. But number two, when we're living in that trauma mindset, we're going to live in the world that our abuser has conditioned us to live in. So as an example, your abuser tells you that you're not pretty, which is insane. You know, I had, I had one, after I got divorced, I went on a date with a guy who, who was, I, I, 
was shocked at how verbally abusive this man was at barely knowing him. And so it was laughable, but he said something about, I have five children. And he said something about how it must be really hard for me to date with five kids, which was really interesting because, and I thought to myself, man, I'm sure happy I'm not invested in this man because I could very easily, it hasn't been an issue at all for me. I don't Mm -hmm. want to date right now, but it's not an issue. But I can imagine him telling me that if I were dating him, Mm -hmm. internalizing that truth, and then having that be something that makes me terrified of dating, sure that no one would want me. We internalize the world that our abuser conditions us to believe in. And it becomes so difficult to live, like you're saying, to to live this free, happy, safe existence. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's incredible because once we do identify that trauma and really, um, you know, accept the reality of where we're at, it's it's not it's not as hard as you might think to begin to heal from it. Just to realize what reality is, to live in reality, you know, get the support that you need, the education you need. And before you know it, you're really able to be like, you know what? My abuser always told me no one would believe me. People believe me. Boom. You know, that lie gone. Or, you know, my abuser always told me I wasn't pretty. I look in the mirror, I see someone who's pretty, gone. Mm -hmm. My abuser said, no one would ever want to date me with five kids. I can't stop guys. Guys are asking me out all the time, gone. You know, and it just, all of these lies that they, these walls that we cause to be built around ourselves, they just disappear. And so it's a huge part in empowering ourselves. And once we get to that point, you, you can't stop yourself from becoming a magnet to other women who have gone through this. And you just whether you're in a, on a platform doing it or just in your daily life, mm-hmm. so many women have been affected by this kind of abuse and you just are attracted to each other and you end up helping each other through this. So mm-hmm. I think that's why it's important. Brilliant. So I want to touch upon um, the betrayal uh, aspect of your, of your podcast and your platform, because I think oftentimes we as women, we speak about betrayal and like I mentioned in the intro, like we just sweep it under the carpet. And I remember when uh, my, my, my son's dad cheated on me and I was so betrayed. I was so angry and I'm not really a violent person, but then I became violent because I was like, how could you do this to me? Like the amount of years I've invested in you, you have done this, you've betrayed my trust. But even after that, I forgave, you know, I forgave him and I'm, I thought I moved on. But anytime something would happen, I would bring bring it up again because obviously I haven't actually dealt with the the, the issue. And as as women, sometimes I feel like we're just taught that you can get over it, you get over a betrayal, you know, without actually digging deep and finding out why was it that you did what you did. Obviously, we're called to forgive as human beings because we people it, people make mistakes, but there's certain mistakes that you can't just get over just like that with a, with a snap of a finger. And, but when I do speak to like the older generations, they say, well, yes, this per- your, your grandfather cheated on your grandmother and they're fine and they, could, they got over it. Your generation are like the Uber Eats generation. You just can't get over it. We're the ovens. And, you know, so those are the kind of conversations that I'm having with people. But um, in regards to deep-rooted betrayal where, that a glass is broken and you don't know how to pick up the pieces, what advice would you have to a woman listening right now that's in that state? Yeah. So, you know, our grandmothers and great grandmothers, so their generation was so 
vastly different than ours in terms of mental health awareness and in terms of emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. Betrayal trauma is has just recently been recognized as even an issue. And so I think there's a few components to this. The first one is what is forgiveness? It's not continuously giving someone your trust when they have broken it. Um, it's not even giving someone your trust when they've broken your trust in one one time profoundly, because that wouldn't be safe or smart. Mm-hmm. Your safety, you know, when you see the the hierarchy of needs at the very bottom of that is emotional is safety. And emotional safety is an important part of that. Your responsibility to yourself and to your children is your safety. Mm-hmm. And you cannot feel safe. And so you can't thrive when you are giving your safety, essentially handing your safety to someone who's not safe. So, you know, when someone has betrayed your trust, it's literally like you're riding in a car with them and they deliberately crash the car into a tree. And you're like, why in the world? And they've never done it before. And you're like, why would you do that? You just hurt me. Why would you? And and then a lot of times we get over it. And they're like, I only did it because you didn't do enough. And you're like, and, and, you know, they walk away unscathed because it was your side of the car that got hit and you're the one who has to go to the hospital and you're the one who has, you know, physical therapy for the rest of your life and a broken leg and scars all over your body. And they expect you to just move on and never bring it up again. And, you know, especially if it's repeated betrayal, they keep doing it. And you're like, I still haven't healed from the first time, you know, rather than a, never driving you into a tree. (laughs) That's the healthy thing to do. Or B, if they do have a terrible moment where they decide to betray you, immediately driving you to the hospital, understanding it will take you a long time to get to a point where you can trust them again and always holding space for you to be able to talk about it whenever you need to, because that's traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so our grandparents' generation says, fine, he hit, he hit a tree, fine, get over it, like buck up, walk it off, which is, I mean, it's just not healthy. Yeah. It's just not healthy. And so recognizing betrayal as abuse is, yeah. you know, it's groundbreaking. It is abusive to, to rock someone's world to the point where you had a trusting relationship with them and you make it so that they literally cannot trust anymore. You know, because that's what that's what they do. And so, you know, when you we hear a lot of women say, you know, I'm hurting our relationship because I keep bringing it up. You keep bringing it up because you're not safe. Mm -hmm. If you were safe, you would not be bringing this up. He it is his job to establish safety. And if he refuses, then it's your job to remove yourself from that situation. Oh, my God. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. And I think that the onus should be on the man to actually say, do you know what? I've made a mistake. I've booked a therapist. I've booked time away. Let's reconnect. Let's reignite our relationship. Because oftentimes, like you just mentioned, as much as we say that we forgive, they just think, okay, now we can move on. When in actual fact, it is like a cancer that needs to be cut out because it will continuously grow and infect other aspects of it. Because even with my own personal situation, as much as I said I forgave, I was like, so what does she look like? you know where did you you know how many times and you want to know as much as the information is even hurting you to hear it but it's kind of it's making it real in your mind like this actually happened (laughs) you know so yeah it's the onus shouldn't be on you to try and make a quick fix and recover it should be on the person that's crashed the car to try and take you to the hospital and get to safety and get you back to the place where you were before because you were a reckless driver 
Exactly. And you were not expecting that. You were just, and you trusted them to get in that car in the first place. Yeah. That's an important point. So do you think that you can fully make, um, you can fully be recovered from past trauma? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, but it's important to note that you have to be safe in order to do so. You know, so we get, we have so many women in our group sessions at BTR who are in situations where they don't have safety established yet. So they're still living with their abuser and they desperately want to heal, but it's almost like, you know, if, if your abuser comes up and, you know, cuts you with a knife and you're like, oh, I want to heal so bad. I'm trying so hard. I'm doing all these things. I'm meditating. I'm journaling. I'm, I'm coming to session. I'm doing all this stuff. But then you live with this person who every time they see you, they cut you with a knife. You're, that knife wound cannot heal because it is continuously opened and you can't trust this person because they're crazy. Mm. <laughs> abusive people, you know, they, they don't suddenly stop being abusive. And so at, at a certain point, you got to decide, I'm going to prioritize my safety. So mm. once safety has been established and you're very secure in your life, absolutely trauma can heal 100%. Mm. So do you not think, Jane, that in this day and age that um, there's been a massive shift towards like the, I would call it the buzzword now, like men being narcissists and gaslighting and, you know, trauma bonding? Because I think that like, ultimately, like you said about our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, they obviously experienced this, but there wasn't actually terminology, terminology to identify that. And this is what this person is doing. Um, so my point is that do you now think that anything that a man or a woman does, maybe it's just out of a sense of emotion, but it might not necessarily be gaslighting, but they're being, sh they're being labeled now. Do you get what, I hope I'm explaining it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Like that these terms are being used all um, the time. Yes. I mean, here's the thing, like abusers, abusive people are narcissistic in general, you know, they may not have narcissistic personality disorder, but you know, you look at the nine components of a narcissist and most abusers have those components. You know, they're very self-centered, they lack empathy, they have grandiose, you know, envision, you know, visions of themselves. They, if you look at those components and you compare them to your abuser, you're gonna be like, wow, that really describes that person. Mm -hmm. um, does it mean that they would be diagnosed as a narcissist? Maybe, maybe not. It's kind of hard to get that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, this what I think is that generations back, even one generation back, the misogyny was so present, so internalized and so present that men really could do no wrong. Yeah. And now as we have women's voices getting louder, I think that we're you know, able to, and men, men are generally biologically stronger. And so they've been able to get away with a lot more. And now women are saying, you know what, this behavior is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so when you're gaslighting me, which is basically just when I say something, and then you say that never happened in an effort to avoid accountability, that is wrong, you know? And so those terms may be overused, but I would prefer for them to be overused rather than underused, okay. you know? And I think that we'll get to a happy medium where women are able to kind of more accurately say what's going on. But until then, you know, I do believe victims. Mm. And, um, and I think that there's a lot more abuse. I think that there's, I think that there's a lot more abuse than people are aware of going on. Wow. So in regards to when someone does get diagnosed as a narcissist, is, what, do you think that they can step away from being a narcissist if they've been like that all their whole life? Is that possible? Yeah, personally, so, so this is my opinion. Um, so Dr. Romney, 
she's amazing. She's, uh, she's on YouTube and Instagram and everywhere. Uh, she has a book called Should I Stay or Should I Go? Mm-hmm. And she talks about narcissists there and if they change. And it, it's pretty bleak. So some studies show very, very small percentages of narcissists changing, but only when there is a life-changing shift. And I'm not talking about, you know, them losing their job or losing a child. It's like if they're in an airplane crash and they're burned on like 95% of their body and they're immobilized for life, then they might change. So it's unlikely. (laughs) So in a situation where you're with a very narcissistic, you know, malignant narcissist, it's just a good idea to cut ties and run. Oh, wow. So what do you wish women knew before like entering a relationship? Because I've got a son now and I'm like, (laughs) I'm trying to make, I'm trying to, um, teach him how to treat a woman I want to make sure that he doesn't know that chivalry is not is like not dead I want him to open the doors and I want yeah. him ultimately to have respect for women you know because mm-hmm. I think that that's treat treat a woman how you know you would want your mother someone to treat your treat your mother what do you feel like is missing in this kind of generation especially with men empathy I think that the ability to empathize is is gone right now. It hasn't been prioritized. When men have empathy, when men have the emotional intelligence to have empathy, when you explain to them that pornography, so, you know, a high percentage of pornographic material involves women who don't want to be there. They're going to understand it's a human rights issue. They're not going to use it. And I have seen really good men who do have empathy who are like, I never knew that. I was an avid porn user. Now I won't be. But that's not the majority of men. When a person is able to step into another person's life. And, you know, when I talk to another woman and we tell each other our stories, we're like, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. I'm so sorry. When you talk to a man, generally, he says, well, why didn't you leave sooner? If it was that, you know, he probably did that for a reason. What were you doing? What were you doing to cause that? And it's this, this inability or unwillingness to step into empathy, to step into compassion. And so, you know, the fact that your son has you for a mother and that you can teach him empathy is, is powerful. And I think that what I would want women to, to do is set a standard, set a sky high standard for any future partner, write it down, write down those traits, and then do not settle. Do not settle. Trust, trust the universe. If you're religious, trust God Trust whoever, Buddha, I don't know, whoever you worship, trust that that power is working in your favor and then don't ever settle for another scumbag. Mm. They're, they're a dime a dozen. You could get anybody you want, but wait for that. There are there are good men. They will yeah. come, but don't settle. Don't, I love that. And even today when I was counseling someone, she said to me, she's a much older lady. She said to me that the biggest mistake I made um, as a single mother was when my children were younger and they in different men just because I didn't want to be alone. And now that they're older, they don't want to get into relationships because they're so scarred because they saw so many failed relationships. So we need to have a standards because our kids are looking at us and they're learning how to love from us. And if our standards are low, it's going to have a, a rippling an adverse effect on them and, and not knowing what their love language is and stuff like that. So yeah, we need to have a standard and just carry on, carry on pushing. <laughs> even if you Absolutely. are alone. Yeah. Even if you are alone, you're not going to die. <laughs> so just enjoy single life. Enjoy. Yeah. And, and our kids see that, you know, they see us being happy alone and we teach them, we teach them that they can be happy alone. Yeah. 
right? And that's yeah. a powerful thing to model. Yeah. So what um, advice could you give to um, a single mother listening um, that you feel like she'd be able to benefit from you being, um, you know, um, a single mama yourself and being, yeah, yeah coach and stuff? As a single mother, I would say um, the more that you take care of yourself, the healthier your children are going to be. So invest that time, especially if you have younger children and you're doing this alone. I mean, that's, that's the hardest work that there is. So invest in yourself now and rest and hydrate and eat and try to, you know, try to enjoy your life. It, the time goes by so fast. Do what you can now to take care of yourself. That's what brilliant. I would say. That's brilliant. And do you have any plans for the rest of the year? You know, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Just keep producing content and helping women as much as we can. That's brilliant. And where can people find you on social media, join the, um, the groups? So btr.org is our website. You can find us on TikTok, btr.org, uh, Instagram and Facebook. We're Betrayal Trauma Recovery. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jane, for taking out the time to spend with yeah. me on the Happy Single Moms podcast. You've been amazing. Thank you. You're the best. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye.